Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I just talk kind of matter of a fact, matter of fact and lighthearted, but this is my life. Like I put everything I had into that shit. Yeah. And for it to not work, you better believe it's painful. There's a lot of people out there hurting, right? You, you, you go after your dreams, you go after it. And I felt like what I invested day in and day out for four years, for a lifetime, ever since I was a youngster, like what I invested in the game, like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why things didn't work out. Hey everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to RealPod. Thank you for clicking on this episode today. This is going to be very special. And obviously I am biased. If you guys are familiar with our guest today and me, you will know that he is my boyfriend of four years. I love him. He is the most important person in the world to me. And to sit down with him today and talk about his story and his journey in sports was really special for both of us. Um, And especially Max, he has really experienced and been through a lot and come out the other side with nothing but optimism and inspiration to share with us and this actually was a podcast that was not easy for us to record together um we actually recorded we did we tried it once before um decided to do it again and you know this second time around it was even more emotional and it's gonna get emotional as you guys are listening to it and max has listened to the whole podcast and he wants to keep everything in there with no edits and i really um, you know, inspired by his vulnerability and I'm grateful that he wants to share all of that with you guys. So I can't wait for you to listen. And I mean, the last thing I'll just preface before we dive in is, you know, Max was a division one quarterback at USC in Pittsburgh and the very long story short, which we're going to explain the long story on the podcast today, but just to give you a little background, Max was the number one football recruit, football recruit in the country out of high school and supposed to be NFL bound. Um, And, you know, with that said, we're going to dive into the podcast. Max is going to explain how his sports trajectory panned out, um, the various bumps in the road and the challenges and the heartbreak. And we're going to really dive into all that today. So, I mean, I'm excited. I'm, I'm Max. If you're listening, I love you. You're the best. And I just am constantly in awe of you. So I'm just grateful that you shared everything with us today. And I can't wait for everyone to listen. Without further ado, we are about to welcome the incredible Max Brown.
Hello, babe. Hello, my love. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. We are recording this now for the second time because two. the first time I just talked way too much. It was not, it was just. It was pre-corona. It's it, been a minute. Yeah, it was more relationship and I want it to be more Max Brown focused because your story is special and I think a lot of people need to hear it and hear your perspective. So we are retaking it. I thought it was good. I thought the first round was good. It was we good. said a lot of gems. It was good, but I was very critical um, just because, I don't know, I was too girlfriendy and I want to be more like interviewee. I think I have to play my role right of... Usually I'm the serious one and it's like <laughs> roles reversed. I know, but I feel like because... I am your girlfriend. It allows me as an interviewer to ask you questions that no one else on the planet in any sort of interview Respect. format could ever ask you. Respect. So I think I want to tap into interviewer Vic, but then I can ask you things that people will be like, you can't ask <laughs> yeah. him that. Because you know the backstory. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Okay, great. So jumping into it. In high school, you were an absolute star football player. I mean, state championships, Number one recruit in the nation. How does that even happen? Like there's a list of number recruits and they're just Max Brown number one. There are a lot of touchdowns. <laughs> Have great receivers. Yeah. Shout him out. Next one, Dario, Trevor Barney, Austin Bowie, Andrew Geese, Matt Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, baby. TXVI. TXVI. Gotta love him. And okay, so you're killing it. And you're the number one recruit in the country. Five star. You get Gatorade National Player of the Year. Um, You are the it guy. And... What is recruiting like? I'm guessing every school in the country wants you. How do we land on USC? We land on USC. I basically, to keep a long story short, I got pretty much every offer I wanted. Um, and it got down to three schools. It was Alabama, Oklahoma, uh, and USC. I guess technically there was four. Like Washington was in the hunt. But if we're being honest, I don't, I, it didn't. they weren't that close when it all came, came down to it. But, uh, yeah, it came down to those schools. And, I took a trip to Norman, Oklahoma, which they really still, even seven years later, they're still like the quarterback Mecca. They've even, they're even more of the quarterback Mecca than where they were uh, back then. When I was getting recruited, it was like Landry Jones and football names, uh, Sam Bradford, that for those of you guys that know, but uh, I got to the point where I went to SC. They were the number one team in the country. I grew up a West Coast kid, grew, grew up watching Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart. Uh, when I was, but when I was getting recruited, they were the number one team in the country, like Matt Barkley, the whole deal. And uh, I was just like, sign me up. I want to go to school here. I want to be West Coast guy. They didn't take a quarterback in the class above me. They were saying, hey, I'm going to get a shot to play right away and start right away. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to bring USC back to prominence out of the sanctions. And this is going to be the best thing ever. You graduated high school early to get there. So you sacrificed your senior spring, was it senior year? Uh, my last day of high school was December 19th of my senior year. So Christmas break happened and then I never went back to high school. And why did you leave high school early to just get in with the team? That was in the plan all along. So basically the quarterback at my high school did that same exact thing before me. It's super common in sports in college athletics. Now it was not as common back then or was, it was on the up and coming, but basically since I was a sophomore year in high school, I remember meeting with my counselor like, Hey, come senior year, I'm going to graduate early. So basically, sophomore fall it was it was my wiring of like hey come December my senior year I'm out and took extra classes I used to take like extra math classes behind my high school uh at Kim Hefty's house <laughs> and uh to get extra units extra credits to graduate early and I got enough units to graduate high school to make it official so you get there early with the hope that that sacrifice and getting in there early is going to lead to possibly playing sooner. Yeah, you get there early to do spring ball. And like I said, I was competing that first year. Who were you competing with? 
Cody Kessler okay. and Max Wittick to replace Matt Barkley. And at that point, I was like, I'm the Gatorade National Player of the Year. Matt Barkley started as a true freshman. I'm going to come in here and start as a true freshman. For being honest, Wittick's one of my friends now, but like, he hadn't played well. Cody Kessler hadn't done anything really. So I was like, sweet. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to put the work. I'm going to uh, put the work in necessary to have success. It's going to be a dream. And it's going to be a dream. And that didn't happen. So what happens with that? position battle Cody Kessler is he just this year he's the sheer winner are they thinking maybe Max is a little young are you kind of in yeah. the hunt with the first few games I definitely was in the category of I did not have the smoothest transition to college athletics I think some guys do most guys don't right they need the redshirt year the game's just that much faster especially oh, so, at so the quarterback you position you felt that way like, yeah, in hindsight, you would have never got that out of me during it. But looking back, I was like, right, it's just a beat slower and everything. Oh, I know. I mean, and, uh, it's, I think it's like that with all college athletics, but especially yeah. quarterback and just especially the offense you're running or a pro style offense, like a bunch of new terminology and NFL and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, well, I, and I totally agree. I mean, looking back, of course, at least with volleyball, when I first got there, I was like, oh, I want to be starting. I want to libero my freshman year. I could have never done that. I mean, I look yeah. at freshmen who come into these teams at the division one level who win national championships and they're like all Americans as freshmen. Insane. Yeah. So I, I, totally I could agree. have survived, but I was not ready. ready to play right away. So Cody Kessler wins the job that freshman year. You red shirt, correct? Yep. Then that second year, are you thinking, okay, I've got my time. I'm going to challenge him, maybe take this job. So that December, uh, as my first year is wrapping up, my first season's wrapping up, we get a coaching change and our new coach is Steve Sarkeesian. Oh, by the way, he was the first coach to offer me a scholarship right after my freshman year of high school. So I'll never forget my freshman year of high school ended. A week later, we had a seven-on-seven tournament. I did well. He offered me then. So then fast forward five years, he's now my head coach. So I'm thinking, sweet, this is the perfect mix. I got Cody uh, Cody and Max didn't really play that well that this past year, or just kind of average. We got a new coach coming in. I did the red shirt. All the growing pains are going to be behind me. It's an open competition, just as they always say it is with a new <laughs> coach. I'm going to come in here and next spring or this upcoming spring, so the March of that next year, it's going to be great. And now I'm going to come in here, new offense. It was more wide open. It was more spread-based like my uh, like my high school was. And I was going to be like, sweet, I'm going to have the growing pains behind me and we're going to rock and roll and, and get going. So why doesn't that happen? Why doesn't that happen? Uh, I still had a little bit of the growing pains, but I was definitely better. Like I, I was I, I was playing, uh, playing, yeah, playing better. But anytime you have experience, like there's no substitute for experience is the athletic term. And uh, Cody was that much year young, that much older. And uh, he just beat me out that spring. Fair and square, and I think uh, I'll, I guess I shouldn't I shouldn't make it that matter of fact. I was nipping at his heels a little bit. I was right there, but at that point, you're a new coach. You don't want to carry out a competition battle. Hence the fact that I wanted to. Uh, I thought I was going to get named starter on the back end of my career after spring. Like there's a reason coaches want to do that. Their team needs to know their leader. Or should it's, it's advantageous for the team to know their leader going into summer, going into off season. And right. so me being the youngster and Cody being the established guy, it made sense for them. And to, playing well. Playing solid. Yeah. He wasn't groundbreaking at that point. Um, it just made sense to kind of roll with that and me be the youngster. And if I had played, we had sanctions. So uh, he, if Cody transferred, I would have been the only scholarship quarterback, like little things like that as well. So were you, so at this point you were okay with it. It was now two seasons, not ideal, not how you wanted, but you're thinking, okay, I understand politically why things are working out situationally, why things are working out. I'm cool with it. I'll hope for next year. Yeah. I mean, I was pissed off. Like I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm not playing, but I understood with a clear head, the metrics at play. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, if I was talking about this with my brother to this day, like at that point, we're thinking USC quarterback, Cody Kessler is going to start next year. He's going to have a great year and he's going to leave early. That's what USC quarterbacks do. They have success and they leave early for the NFL. So at that point, I'm thinking, sweet, I'll take another year to, to, to kind of be the backup. Um, and then he's going to leave. And oh, by the way, I'm one hit away. This whole time, I'm one hit away. I'm one thing, one goofy thing happening from being the starting quarterback at USC. So all, the whole time, I'm staying ready. I'm staying locked in. And uh, I made it a conscious effort to not be one of those guys that the second something didn't go my way, I was going to jump ship and I was going to transfer and I was going to do all that stuff because you see it all the time. One thing happens, a new guy gets his opportunity and never looks back. And that's how I was wired the whole time is staying ready, staying ready for my opportunity. And that opportunity never came as a backup. Well, I, I, was want, ready for, I was ready for it. Correct. It didn't come as a backup. And then that next year, Cody doesn't leave. So he stays. Yep. So it's now your third season. And at this point, you're probably not going to beat him out if he's started as quarterback for yep. two years and he's staying. Um, why aren't you, at least at this part in your path, thinking maybe I should transfer? Yeah, at the third year, that was the easy. I mean, transferring was never on the radar, but the third year, that's the easiest. I mean, if you're going to think about tra- not transferring. Exactly, the one not to transfer. If you're going to think about transferring, do it year one or year two. But at year three, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel for my degree. I'm still one hit away. I'm st- I've already I have that much more investment in the program, right? So I people the coaches know me. They know my work ethic. I've earned my stripes. I'm well ingrained in the entire program. And then oh by the way, the thing that people would always feed me is and I would buy into it myself is I took the Mark Sanchez route. So early on the Mark the Matt Barkley route, the Matt Leinart route, that's playing early, right? That's playing your freshman year. Matt Barkley your true freshman year. The Mark Sanchez route is sit and wait your turn. And then on the back end, you have two years of eligibility, which I, that's what I had junior redshirt junior and redshirt senior year. Once Cody's gone to crush it and kill it. And all the things I'd ever dream of were still there. And it wasn't like with, with missing that third year, uh, I couldn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. No, my mindset right then was I'm still going to have worst case scenario. I'm still going to have two years to be the starting quarterback at USC and bring the program back to the promised land. So you are waiting your turn. And wait, one last thing. Yes. I, I started playing very, very well that third spring. And uh, I'll never forget, I thought I thought I outplayed Cody that third spring, um, if we're just being frank there. And uh, I started playing well, which then that, that started to turn the vibe in my head of like, hey, if I get my shot, I'm ready to rock. And so that made it a lot easier to uh, not be – down like you felt that confident time. that it was going to work the stars would align sooner exactly. now sooner rather than later because you waited so long you are feeling like this is your time it's my time yeah i mean entering that season so it's like january of 2016 mm-hmm. um and this is the season i've been waiting for i mean all growing up i had all the shenanigans uh, in my prior years at usc behind me or at least that's what i thought uh, I had done the work. I was now an upperclassman. It was my time to lead the team. Uh, I was in a competition battle, but that was nothing new. Um, and I was like, it was just kind of game on. And I think the cool part at that time is people around me knew it was kind of like, this is the year. And the buzz started at the end of 2015 of uh, I had a good year as a backup there, kind of doing some reps in the, in the, on the practice field and whatnot. And so I think people knew, all right, this is Brown's year. This is what he's been waiting for. Uh, and I was excited and ready to rock. But catch Sam Darnold is now here on the team and he's giving you a run for your money. Mm-hmm. And it's not just handed to you the way that you thought. What were your first reactions to, okay, like 
I mean, you are thinking I'm the guy I've waited my turn. Here I am. Just choose me. Yep. But now, okay, there's this young hotshot and he's pushing me. Yeah. It's like, all right, here we go. There's another battle. Like gear up. And, uh, that's when you go to SC, you know that, right? Obviously, uh, I wish I didn't have arguably the most talented SC quarterback right waiting behind me, but that was the hand I was dealt. And I'll never forget one of his first practices. I've never even told him this. We're still, we still stay in touch to this day. He's a good dude, but, uh, I'll never forget his first practice. He like threw a touchdown and, uh, our offensive coordinator at the time was like, and that's a quarterback or something. I'll never forget that. And, uh, he was excited. He was just trying to love up the young guy and, uh, he was always nice to me as uh, T-, T-, T Martin, but um, I'll never forget that. Uh, in, in hindsight, I think he was the reason that he wanted to bench me. But anyways, to my face. You'll never w- forget that comment is what you're saying. I'll never forget because that comment. Because what, that comment to you rung in your ears of, oh, shit. Because I was like, oh, oh, shit, here we go. That was his first practice. That was the fall camp before his year. But uh, it was just like all of this, right? It's sense of motivation. It was like, all right, uh, if I'm truly that good, I should be able to beat him out, which – that's what I did. Obviously, it didn't work out, but I, I believed in myself. I believed in my ability, and I was like, all right, here we go. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, it also added that fuel to the fire, right, the, the, all the while. Like, I got a youngster chasing me behind. All right, after practice, I'm going to go run on the treadmill, and me and all the coaches doing our little extra exercises after practice, like that, it only added to it. And I think at that point in my career, I had learned from my competitions, and I, I truly mean this. I had learned from my competitions with Cody where I was not going to go down that path of comparing myself or looking over the corner of my shoulder to say, it's, what's he doing? What's he doing? What's he, what's he doing? I wasn't going to do that. I was waking up every day trying to beat myself. Could I answer the bell to myself? Um, and that was my mindset. And I think at the end of the day, it helped that Sam was a good dude because you weren't like, it wasn't like this bad, bad right. energy. But, uh, when you go to SC, that's the fight you're uh, you're willing to take on. And when it happened, it happened, and I, I I faced it. There was a pretty intense position battle. I mean, that spring, that summer, that fall, they do not announce you as their guy. How are you managing that while competing? Because a lot of people have position battles. Yeah. However, this battle for you was literally do or die, and it was not just given to you the way it has been to some former quarterbacks yeah it was do or die but to my point about like hey I was ready to rock I felt like I had done the training in years prior to be ready for that competition so that was my first second that was I guess my third competition battle and so I made it a point to say hey what did I learn from my first two battles with Cody Kessler uh don't get it twisted it was it was neck and neck uh it was tight I knew it was going to be tight I think in my head I had hoped uh, that I was going to go through spring ball that spring and they were going to announce me the starter. Uh, why I had hoped that, because that's what happened with Cody Kessler. They named him the starter like right at the end of the spring game and then he had the whole summer to kind of be the starting quarterback. And in my head, that's what ha- that's what I was hoping would happen. But uh, that uh, it ended up getting dragged out because we were neck and neck and Sam's obviously a, a hell of a football player. So that doesn't happen. And why is your thought not, let me transfer, let me go somewhere else? Because this coach is making me the entire summer you know, feel like I'm on edge with this position battle. Cause I knew I was the better quarterback. I did. Uh, I was the best leader in that locker room. I say that, uh, as humbly as I can, I had a pulse in that locker room. Like I didn't, I don't think anyone else had. So your um, pure belief in what y- you're capable of and what kind of quarterback you could be is what kept you in the fight. You weren't like, I'm going to walk away because I'm not getting what I want. 
Correct. I believed in myself. I believed I could win the job and have success. I did the first part of that. I didn't have end up having success in hindsight, but I believed I could win the job. And I mean, when you invest so much in a program, uh, I mean, I had had some off off the field awards. I mean, I like I'd been there for a long time. Uh, it's not the easiest thing to just kind of rip the bandaid right. off. And I still, even looking back and I, I we've we'll, talked about this we'll before, get there. we'll get there, <laughs> but, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have transferred either way. Um, but yeah. so you do get announced quarterback. What is that day? Like Helton calls you into his office. How, I think there was, was there what a week before the, the Bama game you get announced. It's two, quarter- two weeks, two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, it was everything. It's at that point I'd been on USC's campus for like four years. So it's not only the four years at SC, but it's a lifetime of being a football junkie ever since I was five years old to finally be the starting quarterback at the University of Southern California. It was awesome. I was so pumped. I told my family and my friends right after that. I mean, especially because my path at USC, it was all it was it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. And I think a lot of guys were just being frank when they're sitting and waiting their turn. They are have they are being just kind of. Oh, life's good. My turn will come. Yep, I'm here. I'm a USC football player. Yeah, this is awesome. And don't get me wrong. I don't say that to cut it down. It was an absolute blessing to play for SC, but that's not how I was wired. I was frustrated I wasn't playing. I was pissed off that I'd lost competition battles. I was frustrated my work wasn't uh, coming to fruition and paying off in terms of on Saturdays, winning, throwing touchdowns, getting wins and losses. And so it wasn't just this best three or four years as it wasn't the best three years as a backup all that kind of thing it got to a point now where I was like I'm ready to play and and, and ready to rock and so uh yeah that was kind of my mindset and after all of that you finally get announced QB1 quarterback of USC it happens for you you win the battle how does it feel it was unreal I mean I finally got the green light I've been there for almost four years as a backup and then to finally get the hey Max you're starting against Alabama. What I've been waiting for was an awesome feeling. Calling your family, friends. I remember I brought you champagne. We were still in an awkward dating phase, but I wanted to celebrate. Yeah, it was kind of like all that work, all that struggle the past three seasons was was finally worth it. And at the time, I was like, all right, now all the, the shenanigans is behind me. We're going to move forward. We're going to have a bunch of success. And uh, it was exciting. But I also remember at the time, I had fun like that weekend, and it was nice to celebrate. But I also knew I had a lot of work ahead of me, um, and so that I didn't lose sight on that. What was it like suiting up and going out in the arena for that first game against Alabama, knowing like you are leading the squad? It's big time college football. I mean, that's what you sign up for. I mean, I remember on Saturday afternoons watching big time college football games with my dad, and that's as big as it gets. It's USC, Alabama, in Arlington, Texas, at Cowboy Stadium. I mean, that was a dream come true. Uh, I think when you're living it, though, I mean, it's easy to say that now when you're living it. Uh, it was it was a business trip, right? You're going there to, to win and play well. And especially because I knew uh, I had a, a youngster like kind of like right behind me. I knew I had to play well. Um, I knew expectations were high. And so um, it was a dream come true. Don't get me wrong. And it's looking back now. It's cool. But at the time, I mean, it's you're going to war. And uh, and that was m- my mentality. But I always tried to make a. Uh, Try to be mindful of how special a moment was. I remember that day I had a game too, and we were able to watch the first drive, I think, eating dinner before the meal. And then the game goes on. I'm just saying my prayers. I'm saying my prayers. And then I remember during a timeout, I was like, should I ask our assistant what the score is of the football game? Do I want to know? Do I want to know? And 
I finally, I think in the third set, say, tell me the score. And she looks at me and says, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. Yeah. It, it was ugly. It's, yeah, it was just a brutal. It started hot, though, which that was the cool part. And for my uh, Sammamish folks listening, uh, I had a big throw down the left sideline to Darius Rogers, and that's the throw that everyone always remembers. It was like a 50-yard bomb, and right away, and it got the whole the whole stadium all fired up. And I had the run like right after, where that's like the meme that everyone sends around. And that pocket was so special, and it was literally deja vu for how my high school career started. We got backed up. I threw a bomb down the left sideline to Jordan Simone, and like that kickstarted a very successful high school career for me. And so I'll never forget literally in the moment running down the field, like literally experiencing deja vu as I'm running down the Cowboy Stadium, feeling like I'm back at Liberty High School, throwing a pass to Jordan Simone down the left-hand sideline. And so that's a feeling I'll always uh, hold close to me. But yeah, after that, it was uh, it was a downhill feeling. What was it like losing that game? game I mean it wasn't it was it was just brutal and the media was brutal and everything was on Max Brown's shoulders and you'd work so hard for this game and it was destruction yeah and at that point it wasn't necessarily all on my shoulders it was hey we our team got beat by a very good team and I think it was the best defense in college football history but they were the defending national champions I mean it wasn't in a weird way, it was kind of like, all right, turn the page. We were supposed to lose. I know that's not the mindset of SC, but it was, we were supposed and to lose. I don't lose. know football, but I remember, the I remember the vibing. It was sloppy. Like, there were sloppy mistakes Exactly. For so em, it was everyone. more kind of just like a team thing rather than a Max Brown thing. But obviously, that, uh, that changed in the coming weeks. Well, yeah. Then you guys go on to win your next home game, easier team. And then you go play Stanford. And this is where everything changes for you. Um, the Stanford game happens. You guys lose. USC football is now one and two, which isn't the record that anyone wants, just considering the legacy of Trojan football. Um, and that is when, you know, the fate for Max Brown was changed forever. And what was that conversation like? When did it come after losing to Stanford that you realized you were getting benched? Came on the Sunday after losing to Stanford. Did so you know it was coming? Like 100% no, but I think in hindsight, I knew it was coming. I remember walking off the field at Stanford, talking to my brother Marcus on the gate, uh, and my parents were there too. And I mean, when you're around sports your whole life, especially the quarterbacking world, and I mean, I'd seen quarterback battles play out before, you just kind of know. I mean, the second they start playing a younger backup quarterback in little sprinkles, so everyone, calling the same exact plays, that. it's really, I mean... I think you try to push it off, and that's the healthy thing to do right then. You say, hey, don't worry about it. Just go play your game. Go play your game. And that's like what I did tell myself. But there comes a point where it's week three. It's your USC. You're one and two. You have a hot shot young quarterback behind you, and you know how the coaches have been talking and behaving. Uh, I think you know what's coming, and it happened on that Sunday. We had like a little walkthrough, and Coach Helton, uh, I forget exactly. He, no, he, after the walkthrough, he said, hey, Max, why don't you swing up uh, or can you swing by my office after practice? So you did a practice? walkthrough as QB1 and then they told you? Yep. Oh, that's like yeah. torture. What? Yeah, it was a weird. We had a short week. I think we played on a Friday the following week. Yeah, we played on a Friday in Salt Lake the following week. So we had to speed up our week. So we usually don't have practice on Sunday, but we had practice that Sunday. And I think it was like a, it was a super low-key event or a super low-key walkthrough. Uh, which is, I guess, why he did it. But, uh, yeah, he called me up to his office and basically just told me, looking for a new spark, which at the time was the the cliche term that uh, a lot of people 
kind of gave flack to coach Helton on and kind of backed me on of oh the spark, the spark. But, uh, in hindsight, that's, that's the saying that everyone kind of latches onto. And yeah. What, what did you do after he told you that you were getting benched? <sighs> after I was getting benched, I remember, uh, I didn't say anything in the meeting. Um, yeah, it was, I, I was, I was pissed off. Were you off. holding back tears? Was your heart pounding? At the time, I wasn't holding back tears, I would say. The tears were coming. I'll get there uh, here shortly. But uh, I was frustrated. I just, life just pauses. That's the best way I can describe. I think so often, right, it's the next thing. It's the next activity. But when your whole life is consumed by football and quarterbacking, and that's like the center of your universe, and that comes crashing down, it just felt like life kind of paused. School didn't matter. My relationships in the grand scheme of things, I love you, but they didn't really matter. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, and so I just was like, I say shocked in the fact that I just, I never felt that before. It was just kind of like stunned. Stunned's the better word. I wasn't shocked because I wasn't naive. I saw it coming, but just, you're just stunned. I mean, all this work, all this time to not have it like pay off and to have it come to that. You're just stunned. And then from there to answer your question, what did I do after that? I uh, had a Razor scooter. I picked it up, um, and I remember I just slowly scootered through campus uh, on that, that the street into, into campus. And at that time, I had a former quarterback, Anthony Nyer. He randomly showed me a like little chapel hidden area on campus where like people can go to pray and uh, just kind of sit and, and just be. And uh, I'd, I'd been there a couple times just in passing. It's like tucked behind the business school, and I'd never, ever seen anyone in there. And the last thing I wanted to do at this point was like see people because I knew this is where the tears start coming down where I'm like slowly scootering. Um, and I remember on my way to that chapel because I was going to go there and just be, uh, I texted my high school friends and my family, family first, and then high school friends, my best buds. And I said words to the effect. And then I texted you uh, and my college buds. So I guess those four, but originally those first two because we were so fresh at the time. I know. Um, I, I, I texted my family. I said, guys, like I lost my job, wanted to let you know. Um, but like, and I remember saying, I always kept perspective throughout this whole thing. I was like, there's people that have it worse than me. I'll be fine. Um, I'm not going to be on my phone or something like that. But I just I let them know. I was like, I lost my job. And you did this when you got to the chapel? On my way there. I like stopped. I remember uh, I can envision the sidewalk on the street. It's right outside uh, where uh, that one action movie is, uh, where Taken is filmed. Remember, I pulled over, sent the text, and it's weird when you're doing that because there's people just living their lives, right? You're my it, at that point, right. it felt like my world's crashing down. You see someone smiling, and you're like, "Why like are you smiling?" smiling and yeah. Shooting the shit, and it's just I remember, I remember and that's a, a blessing and a curse. I've always been aware of that type of stuff of just kind of like looking and, and realizing that, and it, when you're actually living it. But uh, yeah, I got to the chapel and probably hung there. I say chapel, I don't know if that's actually the term, but I hung there by myself for probably an hour and bawled my eyes out straight for one hour. Not not sobbing and like wait, like weeping, but just tears, 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 just sitting by myself. And that's, that's all you can do at that point. There's nothing anyone can say to you. There's nothing anyone can say. There's nothing anyone can do. You just got to own it. Well, I remember what you texted me. You said, and you're right. We had just started dating. It was like this awkward, we were awkward still. Um, and you said, something like I just lost my job, which I'm so new to football. I was like, lost a job. Max doesn't work. That was like the first thing I thought. (laughs) (laughs) And then I continue reading and I realized, and you said, the last thing I want to do is push away the people closest to me. Yep. Um, Yep. That's right. And I'm, and, um, I remember coming over and it was you, me, Wood and Jeff in your room, just trying to 
talk about anything yeah. but football and um forever be grateful uh remember i scooted home and alex wood was the first person i saw and as we're taping this i just moved in and now i'm living with him for the first time in four years and that's been the biggest blessing in my life is the people closest to me it's never been about football and so i walked in that door and he knew i was crying he knew i was i was beaten up but uh it ne it's it never has been uh yeah we can cut right now if you want it's just a tough day do you feel like that that heartache that connection to that day is probably going to be there your entire life when you think deeply about it and I'll get emotional too thinking about how much I love you and um seeing you feel so affected by it but yeah it is something that means a lot and like I think it's important for athletes out there to know like it's not something that eventually you forget I mean that's it's my life I mean yeah I mean like it's a game sure but like I put everything I had into that and so for it to come to that point like it sucks. It's terrible. And uh, I think I, I sit here and obviously I'm, I'm tearing up now and, and, and getting emotional now. But the first 15 minutes or however long we were talking, like. I, I just talk kind of matter of a fact, matter of fact and lighthearted. But this is my life. Like I put everything I had into that shit. Yeah. And for it to not work, you better believe it's painful. And that's why I speak out so much on my platforms. And I'm sure we'll get into that as well Is there's a lot of people out there hurting. Right. You, you, you go after your dreams. You go after it. And I felt like what I invested day in and day out for four years, for a lifetime, ever since I was a youngster, like what I invested in the game, like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why things didn't work out. But sure enough, like that's what happened. And th that pain and that grief, like hell yeah, I'll live with it. But I always try to kind of make like swing it and have it be a, a lesson learned and a positive. And obviously there's a lot of things that happened after that exact day. Um, you know, you end up transferring to Pittsburgh. There's a second time you get benched. There's a labrum tear. There's a lot that happens, but I can see that you sort of feel like that day was when everything changed going forward. Is that why that specific time is so emotional for you as opposed to reminiscing on like the labrum tear? It's just so cumulative. So I guess, yeah, that day I'll always remember. It's just, Right for four years, and I say four years. I say that on purpose because it's three seasons, but it's it's four years in time. Right, I I push things aside. Right, I threw a pick. I keep battling. Uh, I didn't win a job. Keep battling. Ah, uh, like things didn't work out. I call for years. I'm calling home and not having the call I want to my parents. I'm I'm not calling them saying, Hey, Dad, I'm starting on Saturday. Hey, Dad, I threw a touchdown. Like to my parents and. Like for years, you don't have success on the field like that wears on you um, and you battle and you go to the weight room and you do all the things you need to do. And uh, that was kind of the moment where. Like it all came to fruition where it, it, like it broke, like it wasn't happening. And uh, yeah, that's why it's, it's so emotional. I feel like and switching into maybe girlfriend mode. As someone who always seems you, sees you so optimistic and you do a great job of attacking life. And I mean, that's one of your favorite phrases, right? Attack life. And you see the silver lining and you've been so strong for such a long time. Um, do you just feel like maybe right now, just because it's you and me talking about this and you haven't visited this in so long that it's hitting different? 
No, I mean, you've seen me talk like this before. I mean, like, only on a couple instances, but you've seen me, like, break down when I, like, go go back on these times. And uh, it's I think it's because people don't ask me about this, right? People don't ask me about this Sunday. Uh, people don't ask me about my family and friends and how they're impacted. And I don't know, maybe it's just your interview skills and you struck a, you struck a no, chord and I feel uh, like you got with me. Now I feel like I'm evil because it's like no, I was making good, a joke about good. being the girlfriend interviewer no, and now i People I'm need not. to hear this. People, it, right? It's a, it's football. It's a game. It's, ah, uh, you, you'll go get them and right? people look at me and, they, and I have everything together and all that stuff. But nah, this stuff still hurts me. It still pisses me off. It still gets me going. And like, I think that's why people need to hear that, right? It's not this, I always talk about turning the page, but I turn the page with the lessons learned. Like all that stuff, like, it's not just like this 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 thing you just let go. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it fires me up. I think people think sports is just, oh, it's sports, or you play a game, or oh, you'll get them next time. And it's just, I mean, I think just as an athlete and loving your sport, there's such a deep passion and so many years invested that it's like, it's not just a game, you know? It's not. It's not. It's your life, and especially at that scale, too. Like, we're talking USC, Division One football. We're talking about, like, with all the, the hype and the expectations I had going into school, like this was my life. Like, and it's not me just saying this, like there's just so much at stake and looking back, maybe like maybe that worked against me at times. I think that passion and that fire and that pursuit and that willing to dedicate like everything I have, like it's going to serve me well in life. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, I gave it everything I had. And I think that's looking back, even at 25, like that emotion's still there. And it just shows like, it's still like, it piss, like it gets me going, you know, yeah, and, it, well, and that's 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 why it's so yeah. It's interesting because, and I know, I don't know. I feel like obviously it's you and it's your life, and then as someone who loves you more than anything in the world, like I like to think I feel pain for you. Obviously, not the pain you feel, but the best pain I can as someone who loves you. And as I was prepping for the interview, I was like writing all this stuff down and thinking, wow, I haven't really thought about this in a while because you know when it doesn't work out when. You do do that final year at Pittsburgh. You know, I, I remember I was at the game where you got benched again and we thought there goes the season, but then you get put back in and you tear your labrum and you're out. And I think the days after an event like that, it's just on your mind every single day. And like something I wanted to ask you today is like, you know, when, when do you finally wake up and not think about it? And I feel like for the longest time you woke up haunted by the day of losing your job. Like, a full year and more of waking up thinking of this day. And, and I think that idea is something I try to work on myself is not being wired that way of not having to be, when am I going to lose, lose my job? When am I going to lose my job? And I, I, I will give myself credit. I pride myself on even when it was neck and neck and the stakes were high and one throw could lose my job. One throw could get me benched. I made it a point every day to not buy into that and not go into that narrative. So I don't think it was like every single day I was waking up like worried. I don't think that was it. But I do think there's a point where and maybe that's why like that day when we go back is so emotional is like that's the point where like it broke, you know. And I think when you, you mentioned the labrum tear at Pittsburgh a year later, that's why that doesn't hit as hard because I'm used to that at that point. I mean, I've been living this shitty football life for five years at that point. Like, let's just call it what it is. It's I'm, I'm blessed to play Division One football, but that was not fun. And so at that point, 
you're used to it. And I had built up a sense of armor, right? And I think that's why I get so emotional is I invested so much. Like you build up a sense of armor over those years to combat that, to combat that. And so when I did rip up my shoulder, like I'd been down this road before, right? That, that's where it's just like be willing to go to war with yourself. Like you got to like – I, 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 had, I had pushed myself that far. Like I'd, I'd been down that road before. And I just remember thinking the same with my mom, at least would say like Max can't catch a break. I mean, you get benched at USC. Then the team, not even is, and that's that, that was the worst, but then the team goes and wins a Rose Bowl championship. Every single game from that point on, I could have a million. I, if you gave me a dollar every time an announcer said, "Yeah," and recapping on the season, so Max Brown started as a quarterback, ended up benching him, and Sam Darnold has little spark, and we've never looked back. I mean, the amount of times that narrative was said on a USC football game that year, like we'd be rich because it was every yeah. single game. So you can't even escape. Not only this happened to you, it happened, and the world is watching you. Not to mention the thousands of hate tweets you got on your Instagram and people saying. Max should have never, whatever the negative trolley things, yep. attacking your appearance, attacking you as a person and a player. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, like it's, how did you even manage going forward with all, like you just mentioned, the negative things that sort of happened, you feeling prepared for it, not seeping into like a depressive state. And I'm sure, you know, your mental health weared at times and, you know, it was rough for you, but you always found a way to not sink your ship or just yeah. to not give up on who you are. Yeah, it comes in twofold, I think, or it comes in threefold. I think one, uh, I have great parents and they instilled in me like a mentality of work before play. So like work, hang your hat on your work ethic. That's something my dad instilled in me. Uh, I think two, the second part is I use all that as fuel. I mean, anytime you're getting a hate comment, anytime it's someone bashing on me or why my competition was better than me or whatever, like that, it gets me going, you know, and I, I try to channel that as fuel, which we've all heard that before, right? I'm not saying anything people haven't heard, but then when it actually applies to your life and you have to implement it, that's more of a challenge, but I've always tried to have it be fuel. And then the third part, uh, this is a mantra of my old boss and I'm still a fan of him, but uh, Gary V. He says, and I'm, I'm, I might butcher the wording here, but if you get caught up when people are loving you, you're also going to get caught up when people are hating you. And I was on top of the world at 17, right? Uh, I was the number one quarterback in the country. I had every award. Everyone was saying how great I am. Everyone was kind of kissing my ass, but I never bought into that. My ego was never attached to what they were saying. I never got caught up in that hoopla. I always tried to stay grounded thanks to my parents, thanks to how God gave me and my wiring and my perspective. So then if you don't get caught up in the good and all the, when everyone's praising you, then when the bad comes and that happens, then it's easier to kind of tone that out as well. So it's just kind of, Hey Max, you're the best thing ever. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, move on. Hey Max, you're the worst thing ever. Thank, like, and then like in one ear out the other. And I think it keeps you level headed to not eb go with the ebbs and flows when you just kind of stay level headed, know who you are. And I've always uh, tried to say, I mean, like, I hope that when people see me from high school and, and like old people, I hope that when old people see me from high school, I'm the same guy as like now in terms of like talking to them. Like there's, there's no ego involved. And I've always tried to leave that at the door. I love those three points, but thinking back on you not falling into a depressive state, something like that. I feel like, I mean, are those three things what kept you from that? Cause that sounds more to me like as uh, life, my outlook, 
keeping positive. I'm wondering, especially for people out there in similar situations, when everything you've worked for for years doesn't work out, you pick back up your life to transfer, you get benched again, then you get put back in, then you tear your labrum. And it's, I have suffered an injury on my throwing arm that will take a year long of recovery. And it's not even hopeful I could ever be the quarterback I was again. How in those moments did you not break? Or did you break? But I, but I don't think you did because I saw yeah. you every single day and you 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 got up. Yeah. Um, I didn't break. And I, I think it's and like, what what what's the option, right? Right. You either you break and you go down a path of bitterness and poor me and excuses and finger pointing and negativity you, and all that. Or you own it. You uh, assess it. You try to use it as fuel. You try to make the most of it. Um, I'm not. I'm not like a, a foof or anything, but it's just. It's very simple, you, right? Well, you never played the victim, and I'm glad you just brought this up because yeah. I mean, I victimized you. Like in my coping with watching you go through this, I thought Max deserves this and stupid this and the coach that, and you know, I played you as the victim in my mind because that's the easy thing to do. But you never played yourself as a victim. I've never once heard you say something along the lines of like, "Well, if if this would happen for me, I would have got never." Yeah. You are taking responsibility for every single thing in your life. That's that's what you got to do. It doesn't, you like people know like complaining and negativity and victim, it gets you nowhere. It actually doesn't get you nowhere. It sets you back. And I knew that right. In large part, because kind of my upbringing and my awareness and kind of learning from other people. Uh, But then also too, like when those early on in my college career, when things weren't going right and you kind of, creep into those youngster oh why am I not playing those negative thoughts like it's snapping right back into it and it's training yourself and it's working on it but I think in large part like when your listeners hear you say that most people listening have heard someone say that right like it's not like this groundbreaking tactic but then when you have to implement it in your own life and actually actually like actually implement it that's where people struggle and I've always tried to say like, what would my best friend say? My best friend would say, hey, Max, don't be the victim. Hey, Max, you're good. You got this. You got this. So why, why, not, why not just say that to yourself, you know? Like, you know the deal. You know you shouldn't be going down that path. So don't go down it. We have a choice. It's very binary. You either go down this path of victim, finger pointing, poor, poor me excuses, or you say, even if that's true, even if you are getting absolutely, absolutely screwed, it doesn't do you any positive, any good going down that path. So I just here we go. Like, let's go next fight, next battle. Like that's kind of like, that's how I'm wired. And because you make a decision like that to wear everything that happens to you, I've actively heard you say, I failed when referring to football, like I failed. And that's something that can rub people the wrong way in terms of sensitivity because it we, rubs most people the wrong because way. No one most wants people to, stop me and it's kind of weird <laughs> because no one wants to hear someone say that they failed. It's, You know, but you are adamant about, I did fail. Why does that give you power? Why are you adamant about saying you failed? Because it's the truth, right? I mean, we're both in sports households, but people, we we hear it around our dinner table and our couch, people talking about the guy who didn't get it done and how he, he's a bust and all that. Or remember Joe Jones? Ah, man, ah, he didn't get it done, all that stuff. I am that guy. (laughs) Like people are literally around their dinner table somewhere. I mean, probably not often, but. Once a week, somewhere. Donnie and West Covina. Donnie and West Covina <laughs> is talking about 
Oh, remember Max Brown? No, he really sure uh, sucked. He didn't. He didn't pan out. Like someone is saying that, and I've and like you said, uh, like I I consider myself like I failed in football terms, but I'm I am not a failure. I have more stories to write, but that's just like the truth. But like I, when you look back at where I was rated and what I was supposed to do and the output I was supposed to do, I didn't get it done. But here's my question: up. Do you think you shouldn't have failed? Yes, with the amount of work I put in and, and kind of the investment I did and my output day in and day out. Yeah, I don't think I should have failed. So then how do you deal with the fact that there are guys in the NFL who are worse than you? Or, I mean, people would argue maybe they're not because they're there, but yeah. guys who you think you are better than or just as good as or guys who you really don't think deserved it, who got lucky because so-and-so, whatever, and you, quote-unquote, failed, and they are there, and you know that on even playing ground, yeah. you would have won. Yeah, I'll first start by, I mean, if you're wearing an NFL jersey, yes, you might have caught a break, but, like, you deserve to be there. Like, I don't care who you are. You deserve to be there. So I'm not throwing shade at anyone. But uh, it gets back to that last point. I mean, it doesn't do you any good to, like, go down that path. And so I, like, constantly, like, remind myself, or it's not even a constant thing because, like, it's who I am. It's how I'm wired. Like, it doesn't... Uh, Jared Goff, he's a world co- – I'm not saying I'm better than him, but he's just the example that everyone always brings because we're the same recruiting class and, and all that. Like, it doesn't do me any good to envision the life like I would live if I was the Rams starting quarterback. It's not my life, right? And all those events, even all this negative, uh, bad things, that ha- unfortunate things that happen to me, like, they have made me who I am today. Like, I, Max Brown is who he is because of all those things that have happened. And so I don't wish I was Jared Goff. I don't wish I was Baker Mayfield. I don't wish I was – Garner Minshew or something like that. I'm trying to think of another guy in my recruiting class uh, because they, they, they live their own life. They have their own stuff going on. Like my life right now, all those experiences at SC, all those experiences at Pitt, all those football experiences, I had an awesome high school experience. Those are great. Those have made me of who I, to who I am today. And I've already noticed it at 25, even being a few years removed, like there's this internal belief in me that like something better is in store and that chapter of my life, that football chapter of my life is going to be a big reason like because of it. So I don't want to switch places with anyone. So do you think it's important to have peace with failure? Yes. Addressing failure is so healthy and we've talked about this before and that's why I think when people push back on like, oh, no, 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 you're just lying to yourself. Like if there is, and sure, I'm being blunt and I'm being harsh but, but how I frame that, like I'm being real, I'm being truthful. And I think when people don't address that and people try to, uh, try to spin it a little bit of, no, you didn't fail. You, uh, you were, a, you were a captain at both schools. Well, like, come on now. We, we <laughs> that, both, we both know so that was, that was not that the goal. Right. Or like, Oh no, well you, you got your college degree. I'm not throwing shade at college. Like that's a, that's a great accomplishment, right. but that's not where I'm coming from. I think when people try to spin it, 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 they're not addressing it. They're not being real with themselves. It creates a sense of uneasiness. They're not owning the things. And I think that's just a recipe uh, of just that's, just, that's just unhealthy. Do you feel like you are at a place now in your life where, well, one of the questions I was going to ask you was, do you feel like you're at a place now in your life where you're at peace with what's happened. I wasn't well, expecting the exactly. emotion. Well, it's funny. And this is, this will be good for your, because your I haven't, listeners. I, ha- I, I haven't I, seen this emotion from you in, I can't even remember the last time we couple, cried about football together. A couple years. Yeah. Um, before this interview, I would have said yes. And even now I'll say yes. I'm at peace with it. Like 
I've, ex- I've, I've accepted it. It's not something that like eats at me every day. I know I just got emotional, but I, I still would say I'm, I, I'm at peace with it. Like, I, I don't think those necessarily are, I'm not saying it's like, I'm not going to bed every night. Like I can't fall asleep. I'll be able to fall asleep perfectly fine. Tonight. Are there days? There's no bitterness in me. There's no uh, heavy resentment right now, but I think that emotion still comes along, but I still think I'm at peace with it. Are there days where you wake up and Clay Helton, Sam Darnold and USC football don't cross your mind? No. You have not had a day in the last few years where you don't think about those three things? No. Really? I didn't even know that. Yeah, I mean... I thought you were at a place now where... Right now, as we were filming this podcast, there is a bright red USC jersey right behind me. That's true. With how I'm wired, uh, that's gonna that, that that's gonna that's a trigger. That's, that's a trigger. I'm yesterday. I worked out. I'm uh, I'm on my running grind right now. I passed someone uh, on San Vicente out there with the black SC hat with the little logo. I remember it right now. I mean that that, that that's that, true. That's I'm a subtle sorry, reminder babe. All I'm, the time. I'm gonna be your subtle reminder for the rest of time. But no, it's fine. Like I work in football. I do broadcasting. Like every time I, I that, go well, in there, that's true. like that's that's a subtle reminder. I mean, it's not like it's but, wearing on me twenty four seven. But there's it's a little things reminder you can't avoid, like the draft just happened. Yeah, and you know, you can't avoid that. And how do you? I mean, I feel like I keep asking you the same questions because I'm mesmerized by yeah. how you are so positive. And, and now you I really feel bad. Are. I want to get like a better, a better, like, here's the secret three right. step thing. <laughs> right. But it's not that it's literally. Well, and I got this question yesterday. I was on a different podcast and they said, like, what was the turning point? Like, what was the turning point when you realized? And his question was the turning point where you had to realize you had to prep for after football. And it got me thinking, like, there was no turning point. There's no turning point where I was like, oh, and then now I was the wire this way. Or um, turning point, and now I started working hard. Like, I've been like this. I think as life has happened and things have unfolded, I, my perspective has grown and things have shown themselves. But in some regard, like, I've been like this. And over the years, I've just kind of added armor and I've added ammunition to, like, this thing I've already had. But it's it's it dates back to, like, what I've done on a daily basis. So then when things do hit the fan and shit does shit is in the gutter, whatever the term is like you're ready and you're prepared. So there's no like groundbreaking tactic or book or moment. It's little things you do every single day, how you treat people, how you talk to yourself. Um, like what you're doing on a day-to-day basis goes a long way. And this is something that we always discuss because you are such a perfect human being. Like I, that is false. You, I'm not perfect. No, I know I act like, and everyone always no, like talks to me like that. No, it's but, not true. But babe, I have truly seen you in all lights. Like, I mean, we're best friends. Like, I, and I've literally never we're seen. Boys. Okay. We're boys. I hate when you call me your guy. <laughs> we, but I have never seen you. I, yes, I've seen you cry. I've seen you get angry. I've seen you in different moods, but I've never seen you waver from your core. Oh, I'll cry because you're so cute. I've never seen you waver from your core value of just being a good ass human being. And like, you are the best human being I know from a term of just genuine good human. And I think that's why we're struggling to find an answer because I'm just always mesmerized by how awesome you are. And like, people ask me all the time, like, who inspires you? Like what inspires you? And I just go to think Max, like every single day you inspire me just to be better yeah. human. And I like, don't want to be that cheesy girl. And I'm like, my boyfriend but, inspires me. But no, I think that's the answer, right? Is it's what you do in all aspects of life. Like it impacts things, right? Like how I'm handling my football career crumbling is related to how I talk to the guy on the street. It's how I work out on a day-to-day basis. It's like, what am I saying to my friends and family and all that? 
there's no on and off switch. Like, right. I mean, sure. I don't want to sound like a robot. Like I'm not perfect. And I'm not happy all the time, but I think your, you're appro- pretty your darn approach, happy all the time. your approach in all aspects of life, like it, 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 it connects, it translates. There's you, li- I'm living life on a single thread. It's all intertwined. What's your advice to the athlete listening? Who's thinking, Oh, well, if soccer doesn't work out for me, Oh, well, if tennis doesn't work out for me, like, um, um, no, I, I could never reframe it like you. I, my life would be over. What, what would your advice be to the kid who's, who has that thought right now? I think people who think that in large part think that because they're so passionate about their sport, right? They're all in. They only can envision a career in soccer. They only can envision a career in football. But if you have that passion, I would say couple it with self-awareness to know that your life has other chapters. You know other things are out there. And if you have that passion, you will be able to translate it to something else in a different arena in life. I promise you. Uh, even for a guy like myself, like I was all in on football, but when football is done, like you don't just whittle away. Like that passion's got to go through something else. And uh, I think it's just it gets back to like y- channel that inner like that passion or the reason that you're so single lane minded. Like that will serve you well post post your sport. And I think I would challenge that person to push themselves to truly understand that there is something after their sport, whether you have an illustrious athletic career and you retire at 40, like there still is something out there. The idea of never, ever, 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 ever working again, it's just ludicrous. Tom Brady, he's going to work when he retires after football. LeBron, he's going to work. Shaq, all those guys, right? Bill Gates right now with Crone, he has more money than he used to do. But if you have that passion, you have that pursuit, you're going to find something to, to, to get your interest and um, that might not be the perfect answer, but I would say uh, push yourself to have the perspective and self-awareness to know that your life is not going to end when your sport ends. If you can't see that, truly vet yourself, understanding why, like, why are you, why is that the case for you? And then take the, act, the, the steps to, to find what else you like outside your sport. Find that next passion. And if you don't know it, that's fine. I didn't know it either, but it's your job to keep chipping away at it. And, uh, and taste things to find what you like. And you still don't even know what it is. I mean, you're working yeah. in social and you love social, but you still know you. there's more you want to do. You don't even know what that is. And I think also something I would add along with this too is just the advice of there's going to be more purpose for you than your sport. And not becoming what you think you want to be as an athlete isn't it. Like there's going to be other ways you can serve humanity and you can have purpose in the world and it's refreshing I think to know that there's more to you than your athletic abilities and this is what I'll say because you have a younger audience uh, in certain pockets my identity at 17 year old max 18 year old max my identity was completely tied to football so it's not like I've always been wired this way where I like I knew I had this side path no 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 my identity at that stage was, uh, was tied to football. But then I got to a point where I wasn't having success. And then I was, I wasn't happy. I wasn't having a good time. And then I learned, Hey, I can't, this isn't fun. This isn't healthy. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be wired this way and took the steps needed. I needed to take to try to slowly, slowly realize that my identity is not tied to, to football. And to be honest, I don't think I truly, truly realized that until football, until I ripped up my shoulder. But at that point, I at least, whether while I may still have felt that my identity was 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 tied to my sport in my head like in my heart in my head I knew something else was out there and so it made that transition a little bit a little bit easier a little bit uh, 
it was like made it made it possible rather than going down to in the in this in this ditch or this trench uh, once uh, once things hit the fan. Looking back on everything now, do you have regrets? I do not. I do not. Is this one of the things that we've pushed back on each other? Yeah, with? we we always get in a fight about this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, and I guess I'll start us off. Uh, I just look. I know, we don't have to get an argument about it. I didn't. I no, want to say fight. This will, we, be, this we, will be good for. We uh, get arguments. For I well, just look back on my career, and with the information I had and the actions I took at every step of the way, whether that's a phone call, whether that's a conversation, whether that's a workout, whether that's uh, any sort of investment, I genuinely look back. And I did what was needed. To, I did what I needed to do to have success. And sure, don't get me wrong, I could have eaten a chicken breast instead of a burger. I could have had twelve reps instead of ten. I could have gone to one but more see, quarterback I disagree. coach. I disagree with that stuff. Like at least what? the chicken finger and the rep. Like I don't think when I when I say do you have regrets, I don't mean like did you not work out hard enough. I mean, did you push for? the transparency you needed before the summer happened <laughs> and you had a position battle. I mean, that's where yeah. to me, I question like, and I, and this is, and this is also tough because once again, I know this is something I've always wanted to do because I think there's a million people out there who are athletes who want to have dreams. And there's also a million people to those million people who love and care for them and want them to succeed. So I don't know whether we are the supporters or whatnot, but yeah. it has always been hard for me to accept yeah. your acceptance of what's happened. And it's been hard for me that I know you don't think I took every step to, to handle that. And I, and this is, this is good for, I know I did. I know I took every step to, to do that. I had that conversation. I sat on uh, Coach Helton's couch. I got the info I needed. I knew that if, it, if uh, we had a game that next day, I would start and that I had this NFL cal- caliber worthy guy sitting right on my coattails. And I knew that was the scenario and there was no, I got the clarity I needed. And that, that clarity was that a decision couldn't have been made. And I, that, that, that was, that was just the facts at play. And so I look back on that time and, and, and that, and I get that. And it, I love that you're willing to push back on me on that. And I love that, that still gets you going, but you better believe like that. That's not, that's not the best thing. Uh, like, I, but you know what? I have come to accept that I would rather have you feel the way you currently do about everything, that you don't have regrets, that you feel like there was, you frequently say, no stone left unturned. I sleep better at night knowing you feel that way. So regardless of the fact that it's hard for me to believe that that's genuinely how you feel, and maybe I wouldn't feel that way if I was you, I am. I would rather you feel this way because I want all I want is for you to be happy and you to be at peace. And the fact that you can look back and say you don't have regrets is amazing because some people do look back and say, you know, I never asked this yeah. or. And this is a great example, right? I love you more than anyone in this world. And it is not a good feeling knowing that the person who loves you more than anything thinks you could have done more. And so it's a good reminder. It's a good reminder that um, you can't control what other people are going to think. Wait, and I you got to look yourself in the mirror <laughs> and know when you look back on those two eyes that you gave everything. And that's what I'm able to do. And I'm glad that you're able to do that. And I don't think that you, I guess it's not that I, I don't think you could have done more. I know that if your scenario was different, that if Sam Darnold didn't exist or you went and played at a different school or if something happened different, I know you are good enough you have accomplished what you wanted to accomplish as a football player. So I think that to me, knowing you are good enough and then looking at the story and it didn't happen, 
I can't help but think where along the way could something have been different to have a different ending. Totally. So, I mean, that's maybe what I'm, that's maybe my thought is like, damn, like, you know, if if this would have happened or this would happen, he would have been where he wanted and the heart, we wouldn't have had to deal with a heartbreak. So it's not necessarily, I don't think Max Brown, like, it's not like I'm going to bed at night, like, babe, you didn't work yeah, hard enough. Yeah. You got to live with, no, it's like, I know you are good enough. I look at you and I see a human that is incredible. So yeah. what kills me is that it didn't happen for someone who is worthy. Yeah. And when I hear you say that, I, I think back to me pacing outside my apartment, having hour long conversations with my brother, Mitch, scheming around what conversations can I have with coaches and knowing that my dad and my brother were thinking about every transfer option known to man that summer and me going down every rabbit hole but, of possibilities. And, and like, I know I did the you, leg but work. You, so you still think it was Pitt because let, if you brought this up. We go to Pittsburgh and you're not even given the job. Like it's, it's now, but you're that's not, ben, a, that's not a regret. That's but, not a regret. Like but, with the decisions I had, I made a sound decision with the info I had. In hindsight, sure. Did I know Ben DiNucci was going to turn the corner in the spring of 2017 <laughs> who just got drafted by the Dallas Cowboys? No, but that's not a regret. With the info I had, I made the best decision at that point weighing the pros and cons. Sure, looking okay, back, I, I could have gone down a different path. I got Don't it. Don't get so, me wrong, but that's not a regret. I think, I think the flaw of where I'm coming from that I'm noticing now is my flaw is I'm basically saying, knowing what you know now, would you go back and change something? And I think that sure. is different than me saying, do you have regrets? Sure. Because I like the idea that you're... But then I, right. But I, then I catch myself because... Part like I don't I said sure right there like just subconsciously but like looking back like all those decisions I made like made me who I am today they right. brought me to that story right now so I wouldn't change anything but sure if the ultimate goal said all right Max you want to get to the NFL would you go back and change anything I mean like obviously I didn't right. get to the and NFL and I think I think that's where we are kind of our our butting heads doesn't isn't actually in the same lane because I'm talking True. about if you knew what you knew now, whereas you're talking about, look at the time, I didn't know what I know now, so I feel good about the choice I made. So I actually think that's the first time we've ever realized what the issue was in that discussion we always had. We had the same thing in our last podcast, the first time we filmed with uh, me sitting and waiting and why I didn't transfer. Remember when I said the Mark Sanchez thing and yeah, that's why? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, I'd have no idea about that. Oh, that makes total sense I why know. you didn't transfer. I honestly and I was like, hello I like should... i wasn't just like winging this whole <laughs> life thing like no i had a plan you you know my parents I know. you know my brother like, you better believe we we're analyzing every factor known to man i know i know the one of the things yeah i i know and i honestly <laughs> i should release both podcasts and whoever's just obsessed with us can listen to seven hours of us talking you um, it's good stuff or i can maybe try to cut them together who knows but anyways i am the happiest to know you don't have regrets. So it's a win for both of us that that is your answer to keep it, to get the records and straight. Like, it's weird. And I don't know how I'm wired. I think it's just over the years, but like hearing you say like, if I, that, that gets me pumped up, like I want to go like work out, like knowing that you think I could have done more. I don't think you could have done more. Like, babe. Let's go Vic Garrick. <laughs> I, I let's don't, go. <laughs> I don't think you could have done more. I just think you had the potential to become what you wanted and it didn't work out. So it's hard for me to yeah, think about that. There were other that. paths that you could have walked that would have resulted in success for you. And they weren't walked and that's not your fault. It's not Mitch's fault. It's not, it's not whoever's fault was helping you with anything. I'm just saying that is still something that leaves sour taste in my mouth is, Hey, he, like when we go in the backyard and you grab the football, I'm like, fuck, man, like you are good enough to be in the NFL, but you had a labor injury and you've never thrown the same since and you blah, 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 and Sam this and Helton that. And it's just like, 
that is just, I think, where I get lost in like an unhealthy thing in my mind is like, you are good. You were good enough. You are good enough. And you know that. And totally. but then the thing is that I hate too is that people will be like, oh, well, if you would have dropped, let's see, whatever, we can use Sam, we can use both. If you would have dropped Tom Brady in Max's shoes, would Tom Brady have prevailed if given the same situation? And then there's the argument of like, well, would Tom Brady at his age, at that age, have beaten out Sam Darnold? Would he have thrown better at Bama? Like, I think that's where I get upset because I get defensive over you because I'm like, I know you could have made it if maybe your path was different, but the path that you were the path that happened for you, you didn't prevail. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it pains me when I see tweets and people shitting on you saying you never were good enough because you didn't do it. I mean, does that all, do you, do you get my wavelength? What do you think? I totally do. Yeah. Um, and I'm not robotic. Like I still feel those same things. Like I had an interview yesterday for, with a pit reporter talking about recruiting history. And it was like, what other schools are you looking at? And it was like Fresno state, Boston college, uh, maybe Cal. Like, I wonder what would have happened if I went to Cal and played in that offense and all that. Like, I wonder what would happen. Like, I still think about those every once in a while, but I just don't dwell on them. And I think that's a difference. Think versus dwell. I don't dwell on what could have been because I find peace in my preparation. I look back and I, I say this humbly. I don't say this to be ego, uh, to, to have a high ego. I, but I, I, I put in the work to have, have success. And looking back when it didn't work out, like, that's that's what brings me peace is there's no like stone left unturned. I think that's healthy too because so many athletes always think they could have done more and I really respect the fact that you say I did what I could do. And you you keep defending your ego because there's this weird societal notion that it's cocky for you to say I did what I needed to do. Because we get caught up as even just high achieving human beings, oh, I should have studied more. I should have done this more. I could have said this. And People are haunted their whole lives by thinking they could have been better. They could have done more when really you did the best you could. And that's okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've just always tried to pride myself on being the hardest, hardest working guy in the room. And I've said this to you before, but once again, I say this humbly. I don't think there's a quarterback in the country at my age. Obviously at seventh grade, I'm not outworking the college quarterback, but my age, that can look me in the eye and say he outworked me or invested more than me. And that brings a lot of peace to me, and I, I know that, like you said, there's a, like in our society, there's a little ego to that, but that's in my heart of hearts. I, I that's what I believe, and I say that because I think it's so important. Where um, people ask me, "Oh, how do I get past that? How do I move forward with all that?" And it stems a lot from from that, in the fact that of, of my body of work of what I invested, even though that never came to light, that never paid off, um, directly paid off. That's that's. That's that's the truth behind it. And speaking of things that haunted us, I do want to touch momentarily on your labrum tear. I know we've kind of mentioned it this entire podcast, but for those people who are not familiar, um, you suffered a big hit while you were throwing and your labrum was torn. And that's like the equivalent of a soccer player getting their ACL torn. It was your throwing shoulder. It was severe, to, to say the least. What was your – what was going through your mind that day? Um on the field and when you were getting carried off and realizing what was happening to you? Um, just devastation. I think the competitor in me was telling 
every fiber of my body was saying, this isn't it, this isn't then, this isn't how it's ending. You'll fight back. Uh, hopefully it's just you're out just a few weeks. They'll pop it back in. You'll be good to go. Every fiber of your body is trying to hold on to that. In hindsight, I think in my head I was like, that may have done it. That may, that, 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 that may, that, that may be it just because you know something's off. Uh, when they're popping your shoulder back in there and you're yelling cuss words so loud that the guys in the booth through the headset can hear you screaming, you know something's, uh, you, you, you know something's bad. Um, and I think it was just devastation. It was just, I remember my parents were sitting right at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I'll never forget their faces. It was just pure devastation. It wasn't, it wasn't poor me. It wasn't uh, all that, but it was just like, you, that that look in your eye when it's just kind of like the last straw, like that was it. That that's the type of look I, I had. It was different, like walking out of Alabama and walking out of Stanford after you lost and things didn't go your well, way. Way there's a certain look in your eye when to, to your loved ones of like we got them next time. Like because there's doing another good. opportunity. There's a certain sparkle. And I one thing I will forever pr- appreciate about my parents is they never bullshitted me. They never said some fake thing or whatever. And I could tell right then they they loved me and they supported me. But I could tell, like, that that, that, that that was probably it. And I would go on to rehab and, and try to get the shoulder back. And I I, I, I worked hard. Um, you I, had I, a year of intense rehab. Yeah, 15 months, 15 months. And I, I chipped away at it. But uh, I think when you're looking at it, it's just just devastation. I think uh, you just, you just yeah, it just, there, there's certain there's certain thoughts of, like, I won't say why me or, like, that. But there's certain thoughts, of like, here we go again. Like another fight, another battle, and um, yeah, just devastated. Do you consider that career-ending injury? It's a great question, my love, because I always battle with this term, and here's why I battle with it: because I think the term's overused, and I think a lot of people use that as a cop out, and the reason their athletic journey didn't work. And I don't want to be in that. The reality is, I didn't get it done. I didn't get it done in sports. And sure, there was, I could have pursued another surgery. I could have done 30 months of rehab instead of 15. I could have seen some guru in some other Russian country, and I could have <laughs> chipped away and chipped away. And so I hate that term career-ending injury because— Because you don't like to have a cop-out. I don't like to have a cop-out, and I think other—I've heard people that I think use it as a cop-out, but it feels awful, an awful lot like a career-ending injury. And back to you said you don't— I. I and we said you wear everything on your sleeve and you own it. And I mean, as I've told your story to people, I've always said, well, it was career ending. Like Max's shoulder was literally never the same. He never could throw the way he used to. It was career ending. But we never refer to it that way. You never, yeah. that's never like, because you. It feels a little victimized, you know, and like yeah. a little bit of a victim. And I think the reality is, like, I don't need to tell people that, Right. If you have to tell people that, I think there's a certain sense of like, that's, oh, that's the reason it didn't work out. Like, oh, I was a great athlete, but that's the reason. Like, my loved ones, like, people know, right? I don't need to tell people. They, they know my story. And I, even if you don't know, and this is the first time you're hearing it, you can piece it together. Like, I don't want to latch on to that right. that, that, that victim it's like a It's like the scapegoat, a little cop yeah. out. And it's, I, it, it's the fine line between I don't want to be a victim, but I want to tell you the truth. And I think the truth is well, that that went a long way in me not and you know? I, I think there are career-ending injuries in the sense of you talk about like, I mean, maybe the number one person who is literally killing it where they want to be and then 
unfortunately maybe could never walk again or could never blah, blah, blah. That is career ending. I think maybe why you hesitate to say yours was career ending is because so many things had happened before that labrum tear, like, you know, getting pulled at USC, some of the dilemmas you ran into at Pittsburgh, like those things had nothing to do with the labrum. And I respect the fact that you own it and you don't try to say I had a career ending injury. That makes sense. Just like it's it's harder to convince some someone that that's career-ending injury when to most people I wasn't close to the NFL. Well, well I'm but not... I still in my heart feel like, I mean, I was I was right there. Eighteen months, sixteen months before I ripped up my shoulder, I beat out the eventual number two pick in the NFL draft. So like in my head, I'm I was still right there. I was still right there. Um, but I most people don't view it that way. <sighs> You're awesome. I love you. I love you too. We get all the questions answered? Yeah. I'm just thinking. I'm just, you're just. I promise you listeners, I'm not this like hardo. I feel like this whole episode, like walking away. You kind of have been been on one the whole time. (laughs) I'm in? No, you kind of have been, you know, like here to fight the whole time. But I like the energy. Yeah. And that's, I cover it well that's how i wake up in the morning it's like all right let's go we got we got a battle but it is positive i am lighthearted. i am loving i am happy all those things people but underneath it it's like like you know like let's go well people (laughs) listening have to know that you are talking about the most yeah important life-changing sensitive heartbreaking loving emotional thing that's ever happened to you in your life and if they go guys go look up max brown on any other podcast you're not going to get this this is what we we're talking about in the beginning is i'm the girlfriend but i'm also the interviewer so max is especially vulnerable with me not only because it's real bad but because but it's you're me. also asking like heavy hitter questions yeah uh, did i take it too far no you're great okay are you sure i never yeah. want to i love you love you too <laughs> but i just want your audience to know i'm not this like hardo like navy seal but i just think i have <laughs> normal human bits and pieces of that, which I think are extremely but, healthy for attacking this life that when, we all live. And when you're super passionate about something, you're going to have that edge. And you, you're right. You're not like that when we're talking most of our days, but when we're talking about football, it could be different. The same way, if you go look up my TED talk, I'm basically screaming because I'm just like, I'm depressed and you guys need to know about mental health and I can't like, yeah. you know, the, and yeah. I look back at my TED talk now, I'm like, oh my God, why did I deliver it that way? <laughs> but it's because I was so freaking passionate about it. Yeah, hell yeah. And I think the most beautiful thing... The last thing we'll uh, want to talk to you about is just your the way you have let everything fuel you to how you live your life now. I mean, you are up every morning at six thirty. I don't care what time we go to bed, reading for just reading's new. Re- reading, <laughs> wake up with the readings fairly new. Don't but downplay like, yourself. But you wake up at six thirty without failure, no matter what, how many hours of sleep you got. You're reading. You're working. You're going above and beyond. You're working over hours. I mean, the amount of hours you probably spend a week working is insane and I mean you're just always motivated and doing awesome things and I think that you've used what the quote-unquote failure was to motivate you to attack the rest of your life rather than let it pump the brakes and tell you to never like try again totally we get one life we get one story to write and as I say that there's gonna be people (laughs) that think that's like cliche and I, to you people right now that I just struck a chord of like, oh, Brown, here we go. Like, I challenge, like, stop you. And like, why do you think that? And I think, because yes, it's cliche, but it's true. And we're all living, trying to f- live a life of uh, the North Star is happiness. And how do we get to happiness? A lot of it's fulfillment. And that's what I'm trying to do is find fulfillment in life, uh, find happiness in life. And a big reason that is trying to like push the envelope 
push myself a little bit and see that, yes, the college chapter, the end of the football chapter for me didn't work out, but what kind of story can I write post that? And uh, I'm not perfect. I'm not uh, the best. I need to do more and all that, but I'm chipping away at it and trying to to make the most of it. He's pretty perfect, you guys. I really can't think of anything that's imperfect about you. Well, babe. If you like this podcast, shoot Vic DMs and comments. We need to have another uh, <laughs> another episode. We can do more. I know. Wow. I, I love you. Well, it's fun to do stuff with you because it doesn't feel like work for me. It just feels yeah. like hanging out. I love out. you, and thanks for supporting me and family and friends that are listening. I guess there's going to be tears on this, so it's going to be kind of heavy hitter. I know. I love you guys, I was... and uh, I know I don't always say I love you and all that, but... Uh, Thanks for the support. I was wondering. I was like, am I rude? Should we cut this right now? Am I insensitive? And you were just like, let's keep going. I love that you're being vulnerable. Got to. You're always like that, too. Real pod, baby. I know. Gotta keep it real. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, love you. Do you want to go get dinner, babe? Love you. Let's get it. Should we go eat dinner? Peace. Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of this podcast. I'm so grateful. I'm sure Max is thrilled to know that you listened to his story and took an interest. So if you want to keep up with Max or shoot him a message, his Instagram is at Max Brown with an E at the end. And I'm just so grateful the way this turned out. I hope that you guys really felt it and learned a lot and hopefully were inspired by him as well. And I'm so grateful that you listened to this episode of Real Pod. Make sure that you follow Max on Instagram and also you can follow RealPod on Instagram at RealPod and make sure you rate and review this podcast. If you guys are enjoying the realness and the stories and the guests, please give it five stars. Leave a review wherever you listen. Um, That would mean a lot to me. I'd be so thankful. And, you know, I guess in the words of Max Brown, let's just keep stacking good days and let's attack life. Thank you all. Let's get out there.